Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. Our movie today is a, uh, a an interesting one for this show because this is not a movie that I think is especially underrated. It's one that pretty much everyone who has seen likes and or loves this movie, but this one is kind of a special podcast. This one's really the first two-part podcast I have ever done, where in 2006, there were a couple of movies that came out about magicians. One was called The Prestige. One was called The Illusionist. And these movies will be forever linked. And it is really impossible to talk about one without talking about the other one because they're so similar and they came out at the exact same time. And so really, on today's episode, we'll be talking about The Prestige, which is my personal favorite of the two, and we'll be convincing you why Christopher Nolan's Prestige is the best magician movie ever made. And let's see, my guest today, I have a, uh, I brought in a heavy hitter for this one. He's a uh, 24-year-old Christopher Nolan enthusiast. He knows his movies very well, much better than I know. I actually don't know Christopher Nolan all that well, so I will be deferring a lot of the podcast to my co-host here. But I would like to welcome to the show, welcome him to the show. Welcome our Christopher Nolan expert, Bruce Ragus. Did I say that right? Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter how you say it because it's kind of bastardized Spanish. So Ragus, Ragus, however you want to say it. All right. Bruce Ragus, Ragus, who is, and I should point out right at the top of the show, one of my beloved patrons. Bruce is one of the people who pays me to do the show. And I'm so excited to have you on. So thank you to my all-time favorite patron, Bruce. Yes, oh, thank you for having me. And you know, this is kind of a uh, kind of a litmus test to see if if the patron experience is really worth it for me. <laughs> wow, so there's a lot of pressure. So I thought the pressure would be on you, but the pressure is actually on me that I have to make this fun for you. Yeah, you have to make this fun for me for me to continue to pay you every month. Wow. Oh, <laughs> you just <laughs> turned this podcast right on its head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Bruce, tell us a little about yourself, how you end up here, why you are the perfect person to talk about the prestige. Yeah, so I, I mean, you kind of mentioned it earlier. I'm a bit of a movie enthusiast. I'm a Christopher Nolan enthusiast. I've seen all but his first two movies. Um, you know, I'm sure people are very familiar with the Batman trilogy that he did, and also, you know, other movies like Inception, Memento, his more recent ones, um, Interstellar, and. Uh, uh, Dunkirk. Uh, I I just I enjoy the way he crafts movies, um, and in particular, pr the Prestige is one of my favorites that he's done. Um, I'm also a huge magic fan. Like if if for any aspiring magicians out there, if you're looking for an audience, just hit me up. I will be an audience of one, and I will freak out at every trick you do because I love magic. <laughs> I I can't I can't perform it myself. Because I don't have the manual dexterity or the patience to learn it, but I love magic. <laughs> I would imagine that the Venn diagram between Staff Picks listeners and magic fans is probably very big. Yeah. And, well, good. They're all listening to the 
the correct podcast right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, Bruce had mentioned this a while back that he was a Christopher Nolan fan, and I will be the first person to admit that I like some Christopher Nolan movies. I don't like other ones. I don't really like Batman movies in general or even superhero movies in general, so I haven't really seen most of the Batman ones. So, again, I hope you forgive me that I really only know this as a standalone. I really just kind of know this as the prestige. I don't really consider it as a part of a larger body of work. So I hope you're not going to hold that against me, my beloved patron. No, that, that's that's definitely fair. Um, I kind of do look at it in that way, you know, part of his larger body of work. And, and there are uh, different things that he does in his movies that I think uh, it kind – I think The Prestige is mo one of his movies where he takes all of the things he does and he does a little bit of it of all the things he does in this movie. So I, I can, you know, I'm going to bring in that perspective mm -hmm. um, as to kind of what, what a Christopher Nolan movie is and how this one, um, you know, this one fits into his repertoire. Okay. Now is this uh, your personal favorite Christopher Nolan movie? Would you say this is like in your top three? Where would this rank among them? Uh, yeah, I'd put it in my top three. Um, I think my favorite, which is an, kind of an unpopular opinion is interstellar. Um, I, that's kind of a movie you either love or hate um but that's one i one i love also I, I love memento i don't know if you've ever seen that one but that that one deals with kind of like the uh, and we'll get into it the uh in this movie sort of going back and forth in time memento deals with that a lot um and he does that here in the prestige um and i i, I guess I'd, I'd round out my top three with the prestige yeah okay yeah memento is one of those movies that i know i should love like my uh -huh. brother-in-law is a film student student major from a uh, from Berkeley, and he's always telling me that I should like better movies and stop liking crap like 80s comedies. And so Memento, he will hold up as like the top movie of all time. And I, I like it for, for the most part. I don't really love it. My wife loves it more than I do, but it's one that among Nolan movies, that's probably my second favorite. Mm -hmm. Now, did he do Inception as well? He did Inception, yes. Okay, Inception is one that I just don't get at all. So I hope you do not hold that against me. But I also I also did not hear that in your top three. So I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I do enjoy Inception, but it's I wouldn't say it's his best. I think it's kind of overrated. Um, and I, I can understand why you wouldn't appreciate it as much. OK, so so let's talk about your history here with the prestige. I will give my history first in that. First off, I have to say my wife loves Edward Norton, that that is her all time favorite actor. To the point like how spouses make a list of like five people that they can cheat on you with and you don't be, get, can't get mad about it. Like Edward Norton is probably all five spots on my wife's list. Like a hall pass? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's exactly a hall pass. Yeah, it's all Edward Norton and Dave Grohl. So I, I know I'm going to lose her to, to some point to the two of them. <laughs> so we saw The Illusionist when that came out in 2006, and I loved it. I'm like, this is a great movie. I like, I love every Edward Norton movie, and I'm required to say that, of course, because of my, of my marriage. But... Then everybody started telling me, well, The Prestige is better. And I'm like, well, what's The Prestige? They're like, oh, that's the other magic movie that's way better. So if you like The Illusionist, you're just a douchebag. So, so then we saw The Prestige, and I'm like, I was just blown away by this movie. Like, this is legitimately, I think, one of the best movies I have ever done on staff picks. And that's why I said I'm almost embarrassed that I'm kind of touting this as like a movie that needs more love. But I'm really just praising this as if, if there's like one of my listeners who has never seen the prestige, this is absolutely one of the best movies I've talked about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I will say at the top of the podcast, and I, I don't know if you, you kind of want to disagree with this. Uh, if you, if you haven't seen the prestige, 
you probably want to go watch it mm-hmm. before you listen to this because there's there are some things that we are going to spoil probably. Um, and I, you know, I, I hate to say don't listen to the podcast, listen to the podcast, but it's before you know anything about the movie, just watch the movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I was going to say too that. This is a very twist-heavy movie. It really relies on you kind of not knowing what's happening. And so it'll be much more like uh, meaningful to you if you discover the twist on your own. So I, I totally back up what Bruce says. that if, if you are worried at all about being spoiled on a movie that's really good and dependent on spoilers, I would go watch this right now. And again, if you want to hear us talk about it, and we'll, we'll get to a point where we don't give away too many spoilers, and I'll just kind of lay down the line in the podcast when that happens. But yeah, this is this movie's kind of like The Village. I, I did a podcast on that. It was very dicey how much we wanted to say and when during the episode. Right, yeah, that's that's one podcast in particular I did listen to, The Village, and I think I think we can kind of handle it the same way uh, we did there. I mean, if we, you know, it's... I'll say The Prestige is a different movie after you've watched it the first time. Mm-hmm. Going back and rewatching it for this, there were so many things that you just pick up on that's like, oh, it kind of slaps you in the face how obvious the twists are. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the perspective that we're going to be looking at it as, is, you know, how uh, Christopher Nolan basically lays the groundwork to introduce these twists and introduce the characters and tell the story that we know, but to a first time viewer, it's just going to be totally lost on them. Yeah. And, and, and to back up what you just said, this is one of those movies that I would say rewards you on repeat viewings about as much as any movie I have ever seen. And like you said, like you can see it the third, fourth, fifth time, and you're still even picking up little clues that Nolan drops in the first five minutes of the movie that lay out the entire storyline. So yeah, just that's the one thing about this movie that even if you know this movie and now you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, "Hell, oh, I should watch that again." Hell yeah, you should watch it again. Like this is this is like the one that just rewards you. It's like it gets better on every viewing, which is incredible. Yeah, definitely. I that it, just from the opening shot, I would even say there you just pick up on things that you didn't realize the first time. Okay, now how did you first come across this movie? I think I had asked that earlier. Like, did you see it in the theater? Is this one that you saw right when it came out? How did you learn about The Prestige? How did you learn about Christopher Nolan? Because you're only 24. You were just a teenager when this movie came out. Yeah, so um, I didn't actually see this movie in the theater. Uh, I didn't see a a lot of movies in the theater when I was younger. My, My parents just weren't theater goers i'd say um but they would rent a lot of movies like this is back in the the waning blockbuster days mm-hmm. um and you know they would rent movies and one of the movies they rented was the prestige so the first time i watched it i was younger um and i watched it with my parents and then um i think i yeah i had, I had already seen um the uh, memento by then um, and then, of course, the Batman movies came out, and so that, that kind of introduced my love uh, for the Christopher Nolan movies and his filmmaking. Uh, and then I watched it, you know, a few more times with friends. I'd say, hey, you know, there's this cool movie about magicians called The Prestige. And I did I, – I also did – let me back up. I did see The Illusionist. I've seen it a grand total of one time, <laughs> and I – and it was after I had already seen The Prestige, and I was like, this movie is garbage compared to Prestige. So it's it's not – I'd say it's not a bad movie on its own merit, 
but The Prestige is just such a better movie in regards to storytelling and magic, in my opinion. The Illusionist is it's an entertaining movie, but it's just not as good. So would you go on record as saying that people who prefer The Illusionist are fools? Yes, I would. <laughs> okay. If you if you prefer The Illusionist, you are a damn fool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's something I want to bring up. I'll bring it up towards the end. Remind me to bring this up, the argument how The Illusionist may be better than The Prestige. Roger Ebert brought it up, so we'll save that for the end. But, uh, uh, okay, well, you did say one thing I want to follow up on before we delve into the plot. You saw this movie very young. You were 14 when you saw it the first time. Did you like it right off the bat? Like, are you old enough at 14 to really admire what, or to really even appreciate what Christopher Nolan pulled off here? So I'll say I, I wasn't quite old enough to appreciate everything that he did there. I, I don't think it was until I was in college, maybe around, you know, 18, 19, that I could appreciate after seeing it again. And, you know, kind of like we talked about earlier, how when you go back and rewatch it, it's rewarding, you know, the second and third time. So I, I appreciated it more on a rewatch, um, not just because I was older, but because it was also a rewatch. But uh, I did like it when I first saw it when I was a teenager. Okay, just wanted to follow and check in on that. I wasn't sure about that. All right, so just uh, to sum up, I'll do a real quick overview of what this movie's about, and then we'll walk through the plot beat by beat. And at this point, there's no spoilers. If you haven't seen this movie, we're not going to ruin it for you. But it's really the story of two magicians in, I kind of forget the era, right around the turn of the century, around 1900, 1898, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think it's the late 1890s. I know there's one scene in particular that takes place in 1899. Okay, yeah. So it's two magicians back in 1899 and the uh, just a, a very uh, rough trade back then. These entertainers have to go on stage and make a living doing this stuff. And this was apparently a, a big deal. This is uh, like based on reality. Magicians were like this traveling around the, you know, the country doing shows. And this is the story of two of them, the great Danton. Danton, did I pronounce that right? I'm afraid I'm going to screw that like your last name. Dan, Dan I think they say Danton. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't even pronounce it myself, so don't worry. Okay. The great Danton against, uh, was it Andrew Borden? Is that his first name? Uh, Alfred Borden. Alfred. I think Andrew Borden was Lizzie Borden's father who she killed. I think I just got them mixed oh. up. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, it's not. I can guarantee it's not that person. Okay, yeah. So it's basically Hugh Jackman against Christian Bale, these two magicians right around 1900, and they're basically in a contest of one-upsmanship where they just hate each other and they are competing. They're trying to be the top magician in town, and they just become obsessed with one another. And this whole movie is basically about how your quest for greatness, your quest to be number one, can lead to tragedy and downfalls. And it's just horrific how far they'll go just to best each other. Yeah, my elevator pitch for this movie is always it's two rival magicians uh, and the lengths they'll go to to destroy each other and themselves. Yeah. Although, okay, before we go into the plot, I should explain the title of the movie. You and I know this, but people who haven't watched the movie in a while or ever will not know this. The prestige is an actual magician term, and this will come up over and over in the movie. And it's actually kind of neat because the screenplay is actually set up in three parts based on these three parts of a magic trick. And I'll just lay them out right here. That they, At the start of every magic trick, there's a pledge where the magician shows you what he's going to do. He's going to promise to do a trick. And then the second part is called the turn, where he does the actual trick. And then the prestige is the part at the end, where you, whatever you may disappear, you make reappear. 
And that's basically the whole fundamental concept of this movie is that it's it's awesome to make something disappear, to make something, to destroy something, but you must make it reappear at the end for the trick to be successful. And that's what the movie comes from. So basically, the prestige just refers to the trick being successful and the audience applauding at the end because you pulled off what you promised you were going to do. Right, and and the way it's kind of introduced at the beginning of the movie, and the, this is kind of an illustration for someone who didn't quite catch that. Uh, when a magician goes up on stage, take for an example a vanishing act. The magician goes up on stage. They say, "Okay, I I have this bird, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this bird disappear. That's the pledge. You know, it's so, something very simple, something the audience can catch on to. And then the turn is making the bird disappear." But it's they and and the, one of the main characters, Cutter, he says this. It's not enough to make it disappear. You have to make it reappear, and that's the prestige. That's that's kind of the the trick that everyone's waiting for. Everyone wants to see. It's not enough for the trick to just have the pledge and the turn because you know you can make something disappear. What well, they want to be wowed by the prestige. Yeah. And why don't you what's the example they use in the movie? The right at the start of the movie we have uh Cutter, who is this uh called engineer ingenieur, he's a person who designs magic tricks and he's showing a magic trick to a little girl. What happens is the though you he has a little cage. He's explaining the start of the movie is all a narration from Michael Caine explaining how magic works, and he has a little he's showing this little girl this magic trick, and he says, "I have a bird in a cage. That's the pledge. I'm going to do something to this bird." And then all of a sudden he smashes the cage, and the bird is you know decimated inside and destroyed, and that's the turn that he's destroyed the bird, and then at the end he has to produce the bird. Look, I didn't kill the bird. This is like he he's back, and that becomes the prestige. Just to to for an example to people who haven't seen this yeah 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 and and this that's actually it, it's so funny every every time we mention something it it comes back to play later <laughs> in the movies so keep 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 the image of a bird disappearing in a cage in your mind yeah and that's i was thinking about this all day how hard it is to explain it's not so it's not hard to explain the plot of this movie as it is to right. explain the way it's presented in the audience because like you said earlier Christopher Nolan likes to jump back and forth between past, present and future in the way he tells stories. So what happens at the start of the movie is literally the last scene of the movie but you don't realize it yet. So it's just there's there's a lot of confusing stuff right at the beginning. The first 10 minutes of this movie, there's all this information being shown at you, all these images, all these characters and you don't know what they mean until you watch this movie the second time and you'll get that basically Christopher Nolan gives away the prestige at the start of the movie. Right. And he open. I mean, just from the opening scene, you open with, like you said, the end of the movie where one of the characters, uh, Alfred Borden, Christian Bale, you see him, he's being prosecuted for the murder. Well, I don't know if we want to spoil it yet. Are we okay with spoiling it, that part? I mean, it's the beginning of the movie. Yeah, right here. I'm drawing a line in the sand. <laughs> Everything from this point out is going to be a spoiler to some extent. We'll try our best to do the reveal at the end, but we're going to tip it off. So, yeah, from this point out, if you've never seen this movie, if you want to go into it fresh, stop this right now. Otherwise, Bruce, the floor is yours. Okay, yeah, I was kind of hesitant as to how far I want to go, but now that I can explain it. So, so we open with the first scene of the movie where we see uh, Hugh Jackman, Robert Angier, dropping into a tank and then Alfred Borden stumbles across, a water tank I, sh I should say a tank of water where the lid locks and then 
Alfred Borden stumbles upon the, the tank, and he watches Robert Angier drown right in front of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First scene of the movie, the murder. This entire movie is based around a murder that one magician killed the other one by dropping him into a water tank, locking him in there, and just watching him slowly drown in front of him, which is a horrific image. And then it, the whole movie is basically Borden's trial for why he killed this other magician. And we're just going to go, you know, the Wayne's World, the we're going to go back here. And now it's like 10 minutes into the movie. Now we start the official story. Right? Would that's a fair way to say it? Um... I kind I kind of want to back up uh, okay. to the part where where Borden's in the uh, prison, mm-hmm. um, and he's been approached by an associate of Lord Caldlow. Or Ka- Ka- how do you say it, Caldlow? Well, uh, Lord Caldlow, I believe. Yeah, Lord Caldlow, and so Lord Caldlow gives him uh, a diary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this uh, this was going to be the complicated part of explaining this part, this movie, because I know people have seen it if they're listening to the podcast at this point. But so much of this movie is told in journals. They've stolen each other's journals and they're reading how each other did tricks, except there's certain parts of the journal where one's lying. And so you have uh, what is the word? A narrator that you can't believe and like this. So it's all told in flashback and journals and truth versus lies. You're not entirely sure what's going on until the very end. That's kind of the problem with explaining the storyline. Right, and, and yeah, it's it's even more so complicated by the fact that they both know that the other one is going to pick up or, or you know obtain the journal, and so well, the reason uh, Borden gets the journal from Caldlow is that he's trying to prove his innocence. You know, he he, he we, all right. So back up. Borden didn't actually kill Angier. Yes. Okay, the, let's let's make that clear. Borden didn't actually kill him. He just saw them, saw him drop into a tank and drown. So Borden is trying to prove his innocence throughout this movie, and he thinks he can do that by reading the journal that Angier left behind. So Caldlow gives Borden a copy of Angier's journal, and we see Borden start to read it. And then this is ten minutes in. This is when we get to go back uh, to you know to sort of the beginning of the actual the chronological beginning of the story okay so it'll be easier from here on out just ignore everything we've set up to this point there's a lot of flashbacks and now we get the official start of the movie where we learn how this tragedy between these two magicians began yes yeah, so both magicians borden and Angier, were stage uh what are they assistants to another magician um basically what their role is is to be audience plants for this stage of magician and you know the the magician would be like okay for this next trick i need two volunteers from the audience and he would pick them every time and they would come up on stage and they would tie uh who is it angier's wife up uh what was her name jessica they would tie her up and she would be hoisted above the stage and then uh dropped into a tank and the curtain would drop uh the she would have to escape in the allotted time, and then they would raise the curtain up, and she would be standing right there by by the tank. Yeah, and what what happens is you have these two stagehands. Again, there's a, there's a Borden played by Christian Bale and uh, Angier played by Hugh Jackman. And again, they yeah they're the plants. They set up Hugh Jackman's wife into the tank of water. But one of the magicians, Borden, Christian Bale, is has delusions of greatness. He thinks he's better than this job he's doing as an assistant. And he's like, you know, there's so many ways we can make this trick better. This is tired old hacky magic. And this will become the kind of the crux of the movie that he wants to to do better magic and you you have to just you know push the limits and he's like we should tie a more dangerous knot on julia that's her name julia well let me let me stop you there he he's like that 
but mm-hmm. only sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> damn it, you're going to confuse me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For simplicity reasons, let's just say at this point that, yeah, Borden is the one who's going to push the limits, and he's like, we got to tie it. There's a different type of knot that if we tie, it's a better show. And then uh, Cutter, the engineer, is like, well, you can't tie that knot on her. It, it might, it's dangerous. And he's like, no, it's much better. She'll be able to escape. And it's this kind of this... Uh, this uh, drama with Borden just thinks that he can do things better than the experts. And this will become a big deal later in the future. But first, we have to meet the Chinese magician. This becomes a very major plot in this movie, and you might not realize it until later. Yeah, so uh, backstage, while Borden is saying, you know, we need to use this new knot, uh, Cutter, Michael Caine, Alfred, whatever you want to call him, uh, he tasks both of the magicians to go, you know, go observe this this Chinese magician and tell me how he does this trick. And the trick is he just suddenly makes a, a goldfish in a bowl appear on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he takes this cloth, he hovers it over a stool and then he just rips it off. And then there's a, there's a bowl sitting there with the goldfish in it. And so he, he tasked them to go find out how they do that. And the person who can figure it out gets like 10 minutes on stage yeah, okay. Yeah, and this this is kind of neat. I'm not sure if everyone is aware of this. This guy, this Chinese magician who is like the greatest magician in the land. His name was, I think, Ching Ling Su or something like that, Chung Ling Su. And he was like a real magician in real life. This this is based on reality. There was this guy and he was just a white guy and he made him he dressed up as an old Chinese magician to the fact that he lived this character every day of his life and he would hobble around and he just was decrepit but he this guy wasn't Chinese at all it was a basically character performance that he played this guy forever and so Michael Caine is telling his little budding young magicians watch this guy watch how good he is and tell tell me how he makes a goldfish bowl appear from between his knees nobody else can do that and again if you want to research this guy I think Chun Ling Su it was really interesting to read his story that that's a real dude yeah, I hadn't read the story. I, I knew that that he was a real person, and this actually we we also failed to mention uh, this. The Prestige is actually based off a book. I mm-hmm. didn't know if you knew that. Yeah, I, I haven't read it. Yeah. yeah, I haven't read it either. Based off of Christopher Priest, uh, in like the mid '90s, he wrote a book, and so this is adapted from the book. But yeah, he's actually a real person. And um, do, do you want to explain how we did the trick, the Chinese man? I'm not entirely sure how he did the trick. Yeah, you, you tell me. I'm excited to learn. <laughs> So the way I, I think the movie explained it is that he's just really strong. At, at least that's kind of what they want you to believe because he, he walks around like he's this old, decrepit, decaying man who – you know he's weak and frail. But he actually is strong enough to carry around this bolt, and you know through sleight of hand, he's able to hide it until he brings it out on stage. Okay, yeah, and he just suddenly pulls it up and makes it appear on stage, and that's the magic of the trick. How did this old man produce this, you know, 30-pound thing of goldfish with water that he doesn't even have the water rippling when it pops up on the table? Like, how did he do that? And, uh, yeah, so what's interesting is they watch this guy after the show. They watch this old Chinese man hobbling out to his car. He's got a cane. He's got helpers. And Borden, this is, again, Christian Bale, who is clearly the best magician in this movie. He knows everything. He's like... 
this is the trick right here. You see this old man walking outside. That's what makes him a great magician because you see him outside the show being so weak and you buy that he's weak on the stage as well. But he's like, this is the trick right here. You have to dedicate your entire life to playing this character outside the stage to sell the guy on stage. So he's like, this is the genius of magic. You really have to dedicate and sacrifice your entire life to a character to sell the trick. And this will become really, really important in this movie. <laughs> Yes, oh, I love. I, I I didn't pick up on that until I this most recent rewatch. How it's just explaining the whole that this movie beats you over the head uh-huh. with its twist from the very beginning, and it's great. I love it. Yeah, there's one line right here that I kind of forgot with the Julia, the assistant. She's being tied up with a knot, and they're about to drop her into the water. And uh, is it her? I don't know. There's some female in the movie at some point where someone explains a trick. And they're like, well, it's real easy. And she's like, oh, well, once you see the the twist, it's really obvious. And that's it's funny because oh, that... she gives away it's the bullet, it's the bullet catch later. But anyway, that line it doesn't matter. But it's the line. Like once you see the twist, it's obvious when you see the movie the second time. So I just love how it's foreshadowed. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. What you're talking about later is when um, uh, Borden's wife when he shows her the bullet trick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so they're talking about this Chinese guy, Chun Ling Su, who has dedicated his entire life to playing another person, and Angier says something, he's like, well, wow, I couldn't believe that Borden was right, Borden was right, that guy's faking being Chinese, he's faking being old, and Angier's like, I could never do this, I could never fathom living my life as someone else, which again, foreshadows the entire second half of the movie. Yeah, it's it, when. Okay, let me ask this: When do we want to actually get to the twist? Because there are some things we can't explain without really making it known what it is. Um, well, you can do it right now if you want. What What do you think would help people appreciate this movie? What can you say about this twist at this point that would make them say, "Oh, I gotta go watch the Prestige again." Okay, well, well, let me let me set up this scene that that happens just a little later. I actually, I think it's the very next scene. Mm-hmm. So, so Borden is working as a, an assistant for another magician, and the magician does that bird trick that we mentioned earlier. You know, he makes the bird disappear and then brings it back on stage. And there's a there's a woman in the crowd. Her name is Sarah, who becomes Borden's wife. Um, she's there with her nephew, and the nephew is just totally distraught over seeing the bird die right in front of his face. And you know, the bird comes back, but the kid is still upset over it. And so Borden takes the bird in the cage over to the kid, and he said, "No, look, look, the bird's fine." And the kid has more, like the most crucial line in the movie that i didn't even notice until my most recent rewatch he says but where's his brother <laughs> yeah that's great i love that i that, that blew me away when it, when i saw that and that's 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 the twist the, the twist that you learn at the end of the movie is that alfred borden is actually two people uh there's another character in the movie uh, what is the assistant's name i always forget Fallon. Fallon, yeah, thank you. Fallon. So there's this kind of older man in wiry gray hair that is always accompanies Borden, whose name is Fallon. Alfred Borden, well, Christian Bale plays both people, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're twin brothers. It's not really clear who's one or the other. I do think that distinction is made in the book. But yeah, the, the whole twist of the movie is that Alfred Borden is playing two people. 
constantly, and he's going back and forth. He after every show, he's switching between the two characters. Yeah, and that's the thing. What when they're watching Chung Ling Su at the start, and Borden's like. He's he's playing a character. He's playing a role. Borden is already doing that in his life. He has already set up a twin brother, and they are already planning this. So that's the reason he can identify Chun Ling Su is doing that because he's already doing that himself. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing how I couldn't even fathom just stepping outside of the movie. I couldn't fathom doing that myself. So. That just goes to show you, like the dedication that Borden brings to being a magician. And there's a, you know, a very important trick. And actually, from the beginning, he says, you know, there's a really good trick that I have. And he says the world's not ready for it yet. And the trick he's talking about is what we'll get to later: the transported man, which is the the biggest trick in the movie. Yeah. Okay, there's one thing I want to say since you mentioned that in that birdcage scene with the little boy, how they give away the twist of the movie when he says, oh, it's his brother. There's an even be- another another way of looking at that scene as well that also gives away the plot of the movie, how there's kind of a running subplot in this movie that there's two ways to do the birdcage trick. Either you use a double and you you know have a brother and the brother makes the prestige to the end and gets all the, gred- the cl- glory, or you can kill the bird and just get a new bird. Which, if you think about it, those are the two ways the transported man is done later in the movie. <laughs> one of them has someone getting killed and you get a replacement, and the other one you have a twin. So they give away the plot there as well. Yeah, I, okay, one thing that's kind of bothered me with this with this movie, and we can get to it later too, but I just want to bring it up. Why didn't Anjir just clone himself once and then do the trick from there on out instead of killing himself? <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> It would have saved so much, so much trouble if he would have just cloned himself once. Yeah, I didn't think it was possible to blow my mind anymore in this movie. You just blew my mind. Yeah, Angie, okay, <laughs> we'll get to that. That's an excellent question. I, I have no answer to that. Exactly. <laughs> I've, I have I have puzzled and puzzled over this question for years. So now you, now you understand. All right, well, just right now, you said you want to have to make sure this podcast is fun so you know that your patron money has been worth it. I will say Bruce Raggis is the greatest guest I've ever had because you just came up with a question I never would have thought of. <laughs> what, wow. <laughs> like, well, I guess you're I, – I think it's worth it just from that. There you go. That's what I'm hoping. It's good because I had a couple more things I was going to dump on you later I don't have to do now. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, now we get to the first death in this movie. There'll be a lot of deaths in this movie, and they'll just they're gonna start one upping each other's once uh, this first scene happens. But basically, what happens is Borden Christian Bale is tying up uh, Hugh Jackman's wife in this uh, water trick, where basically they jump her into a tank, and she has to untie herself in a minute and get out before she drowns. He puts the wrong knot on her. He puts a uh, Langford double, the infamous Langford double knot. And she goes down, she can't get out, and there's a horrific scene where they pull up the curtain and she's drowning in this tank and they try to get her out of there. And she basically dies staring into her husband's eyes. And what has happened is Christian Bale has inadvertently, he didn't mean to kill her, he just thought it was better to do the trick this way. He has inadvertently killed Hugh Jackman's wife, and oh, a lot of S is going to go down from this point. Right, and so uh, this is kind of why I wanted to mention the twist, uh, you know, ahead of time, because what happens after this is, you know, we we go back to where Borden's talking about uh, using a better knot, and supposedly we think he uses the the Langford double here, but 
Borden says he's not sure because Angier asks him at the funeral, well, which knot did you tie? And Borden, Borden says, well, I, I, I don't know which knot it is. And Angier, he's, he's just flabbergasted. Like, how does this guy tie this knot and not know what knot he tied? Well, obviously, it's because the Borden who tied the knot and the Borden at the funeral, you know, who he's talking to are two different people. <laughs> now, the, I, I, there is a theory about this, though, that one of the one of the Bordens told the other one to, you know, to tie a particular knot because he knew he couldn't do it. Hmm. So they challenged each other. Right. It's essentially, yeah, he he said. Because if you go back to the stage back scene um, where he's where he's first mentioning the knot, um, Cutter says, you, you know, you, you screw up the knot sometimes. And it was a reference to that night. Apparently, like he didn't he didn't tie the knot right or something. And so one of one of the Bordens is more competent in tying knots than the other. I never caught that either. And again, I've seen this movie many times. And I didn't realize right from the start they're hinting that the two brothers are taking turns yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah, they're beating you over the head with it. <laughs> wow. This is cool. Okay, I'm learning a lot. I, this is a good episode. I like this. <laughs> All right, so so Borden is accidentally, accidentally or whatever, somehow killed uh, Jackman's wife, and now Borden is getting his big shot as a magician. He, uh, I think some time has passed here, and Borden, clearly the best magician in London, and he's got a uh, stage show he's putting together. This is Christian Bale. And this is where we meet Fallon, his ingenue, who the, the brains behind all his tricks, who, again, we will learn later, is his brother. They're just twin brothers that are taking turns. And we meet his wife, and he's got a little baby. that he or His wife's pregnant. They're going to have a little daughter. And there's a whole running subplot in this movie that's very confusing until you watch the movie the second time. And this is where the wife will constantly say, you know, I love you to her husband. And he's like, yeah, I love you too. And she's like, no, not today. Some days you do, but not today. And she can just tell there's something off with him. And you don't catch the significance of that until the end of the movie or the second viewing. Yeah, and and it's it, it's kind of funny how this is played out too, uh, because like one of the brothers, we we quickly learn that one of the brothers actually does love Sarah, and I assume that's the one that that met her in the theater. Um, I'll, I'll call them. I guess I'll call them. Uh, Borden one is the one that likes Sarah, and Borden two is the one that likes what's her name, Olivia. Uh -huh. We we meet her later in the movie, um, played by Scarlett Johansson. Um, but yeah, so. Borden one is uh, – and it's kind of a story of how – this is how, going back to what we were talking about earlier about how these men ruin themselves. Uh, Borden, he's devoted his life to this to this trick, and, and I – not only Borden, but two Bordens have devoted themselves to living this trick, and they both ruin their own lives by by just pretending to be you know each other. Yeah. Well, again, they'll, they'll sacrifice their love. That's the thing. Their whole career depends on them alternating who's with the wife on which night and, like, taking turns and knowing each other's stories. So they're going to sacrifice all their love, their kids, their family, everything, because the trick has to be maintained at all times. Yeah, and one thing they, they do that you see later in the movie is that uh, – well, actually, this happens around this time chronologically, I think um, – uh, Borden is performing a trick where he has to make, uh, like we were talking about earlier, the bullet trick. Yeah. So the bullet trick is what he's explaining to his wife Sarah, where you, you know, you, you stuff the bullet down the down the flintlock pistol or whatever it is, you know, the old, old pistols of those times. 
you stuff a bullet down the pistol, and then as you're you're pulling the the little thing that pokes it in, you take the bullet out. So there isn't actually any bullet in the pistol, and you you know someone shoots it at the magician. The magician he's supposed to catch the bullet, but it's actually just there the whole time. So there is no bullet. Well, Angier sneaks into Borden's show, and he you know volunteers as the person who comes up to shoot the magician. Well, he stuffs like a bullet or a pin or something in there, and he shoots uh, Alfred Borden, and he like cuts it like decapitates two of his fingers. Yeah. And so, in order to keep up the illusion, they actually cut off the two fingers of the other brother. Oh, guy, that is horrific when the first time you see it. Okay, we'll just go through the narrative here so we get to the part you just talked about. Yeah, yeah so so Hugh Jackman has been screwed over by Christian Bale, and now he's going to get his revenge in that Andrew Borden, Christian Bale, has put together this magic show. He's going to do the bullet catch, which is the most notorious and dangerous trick a magician can do, and people have actually lost their lives over this, including, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Bruce, Chun Ling Su, the Chinese guy, that's how he died in real life. He tried to do the bullet catch and he died. I did not know that. Yeah, so this movie's like a tribute to him. So Borden's going to do this bullet catch. That's going to be how he's going to make his name in London. And Hugh Jackman sneaks into the show, puts a real bullet into the gun, and tries to kill Christian Bale for killing his wife. At the last minute, the gun gets dislodged. Christian Bale gets his two fingers on his hand shot off, which pretty much ruins his career as a magician. But yeah, like Bruce said, there's a scene later in the movie where the twin brother also must chop his two fingers off so the brothers will always match, which is just a nasty scene the first time you see it. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's, it, yeah he, they take like a file and he bites his teeth down. It's It's pretty <laughs> gruesome. Yeah. Uh, it's Civil War Hospital, basically. That's how we like to refer that kind of surgery. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so now the two men are even. That Hugh Jackman's wife has been killed, uh, Christian Bale's career has been ruined, and his fingers shot off, and everything should be even. But you know what? It's not even because Christian Bale's now mad. He's going to retaliate. What happens is uh, Hugh Jackman and Michael Caine put together a stage show. This is now the other assistant's going to get his little shot in the in the uh, in the spotlight, and uh, they meet up. And this is where Christian or Hugh Jackman changes his name to the Great Danton, Danton, which is uh, that was a name that his his wife suggested earlier in the movie before she died, right? Yeah, yeah. Originally, um, Andrew didn't like the name because he was like, "Oh, it's it's French." and he didn't like it, but he adopted it in memory of his wife. Okay. Yeah, so they put together the show, The Great Danton, and he comes up, and he, and there's a difference between the two magicians in the movie that comes up. It comes up quite a bit where Christian Bale is the best magician in the land, but he has no stage presence. And he doesn't know how to you know, sell it to an audience. Hugh Jackman doesn't really have a great, he's not really a great magician, but he's got showmanship. So the two of them are just going to be competing from here on out every scene the rest of the movie. Right, and do you, do you want to go into? Do you want me to go into the scene, uh, the trick itself? Yeah, let's go into uh, Christian Bale getting his revenge on Hugh Jackman here. The great Danton is about to go down. Yeah, so so the trick that uh, Cutter, Michael Caine, and um, the, the great Danton devise is this contraption you doing the bird trick, but it's more of a close-up version because when whenever Angier comes up on stage, he says, oh, you've all seen this trick before, I'm sure, you know, the one where you make the bird disappear and then reappear. Well, you know, let me let me make it more complicated. So he puts it in this cage, this box cage that he holds in his hands right in front of him, and he has two people come up on stage, and everyone puts their hands on one side of, of the, the cage, 
and there's just there's a, there's like this little contraption, like a mechanical contraption tied to his back. It's like spring loaded or something. I don't know exactly how it works, but it makes the cage like collapse and the bird disappears and then he you know through sleight of hand brings out another bird so he's doing performing this trick on stage in much in the same way that Angier uh crashed Borden's stage performance mm -hmm. Borden comes in and volunteers to be one of the people assisting Angier for this trick and you want to tell him what happens yeah um basically uh christian bale walks up there he sees the spring-loaded trick and again uh the great danton has come up with an amazing genius way to do the birdcage trick without actually killing a bird the bird actually gets sucked up his sleeve with a string but uh christian bale yeah basically sabotages him he hits the tripwire or something too early and the bird gets destroyed on stage in a big you know big fluff of feathers the other assistant on stage loses her finger it gets smashed in the contraption and it's like this big scandal and so christian bale kind of looks at jackman and says i got you my revenge so it's like now they're doing revenge for revenge and the great danton's career is basically finished yeah, and this is another another thing that kind of goes back to the two different brothers. I, I, I kind of want to bring up they have very different personalities. The one who who likes Olivia, the uh, Borden two, is I believe I, I believe the more ven the more vengeful one, mm -hmm. uh, and the the Borden one who likes Sarah is the uh, he's just kind of in it because he likes magic. He's he's not really the emotional person. Um, he just wants to be a good stage magician. But the other one wants to get his revenge. And I believe the one who got the revenge here is, of course, the one who likes Olivia. Okay, I get it. So, yeah, and Olivia is Scarlett Johansson. She's a magician's assistant. I, I'm trying to not complicate the plot too much. I'm not going to talk about her too much other than she'll be ping-ponging between the magicians later. But... Yeah, so at this point, it's been revenge on revenge on revenge, and everyone's career is ruined, and, and this is where Michael Caine kind of tells his, his uh, liege, you know, the great Danton, he's like, well, you know, we're kind of screwed now, but if you need some inspiration for a new trick, a new act, you know, there's this, this technological expo down, the ta down the, in the middle of town. You may want to go check it out. There's some interesting ideas there of new technologies, you know, science things. Maybe you can find something that will inspire you to uh, come up with a new trick. So go to this technical expo, and this is where we will meet one of the most significant, seldom-seen figures in this movie, Nikola Tesla. Yep, the, the great actual Nikola Tesla, played by... David Bowie. Yeah, the, the David Bowie. Yeah, David Bowie, famous singer, of course, very iconic singer in the 70s, mostly into the 80s, and apparently they wrote this role just for him, and Christopher Nolan basically said, you know, nobody could play Nikola Tesla, the famous scientist, but you. It has to be someone eccentric and identifiable and just has charisma. I wrote this for you, and apparently David Bowie says, no, I'm not interested. And so Christopher Nolan flew to him personally, said, no one else can ever play this. Please, 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 please do it. And Bowie said, okay. So David Bowie now becomes the famous, uh, misinterpreted scientist, Nikola Tesla. Yeah, but he actually doesn't appear in this scene. He doesn't appear until quite, quite some time later. Playing with time here, we go forward and backward, forward and backward, where we see... What's going to happen, what the, the major part of the second half of this movie is, is uh, 
uh, Hugh Jackman, uh, the great Danton, is going to go to Nikola's te- Nikola Tesla and say, I need you to invent this machine. I know this kind of machine exists. And basically, to spoil it, it's a machine where you can make a person disappear and make them reappear someone el- somewhere else. And I know you have the science to do this. And Tesla will eventually say, no, you don't want this. This is... Yes, it is possible. You don't want that type of thing. That's you're playing God. It's a bad idea. You have obsession, and and Angier is gonna say, yeah, I, I need it though. Like I don't, I am obsessed. I know I am, but I want this. You need to make this for me, and that will be the crux of the second half of this movie. Basically, the Jurassic Park thing. Like just because you could doesn't mean you should. Right, and this is the, we we actually kind of see uh, Angier trying to find tesla way way in the beginning of the movie i think it's like the third scene or something but you know since we're jump cutting around in time um we don't actually see tesla appear in the movie until later but we see him trying to get to tesla and he meets um he meets the assistant ally played by indy circus uh telling him no you know tesla doesn't want to meet you you can hold up here but tesla doesn't want to meet you uh earlier in the movie and then we come here later in the movie and this is where they see the expo where uh you know they see this this big arcing electrical just sparks going everywhere <laughs> looking kind of dangerous but you see both men Angier and Borden very interested in what's happening before them yeah and again this is all based on reality this is I think I, I may screw this up there's Thomas Edison versus Nikola Tesla and this was all real and one of them was like alternating current and one was direct current and i think tesla was alternating current is that correct yeah i believe that's correct okay and in real life like the two men were fighting to see who would be the king of electricity in america or the world basically and uh and uh edison ends up winning so tesla was kind of forgotten but to this day a lot of people think tesla's electricity might have been better and more efficient but man is it a cool visual because you see it at the expo here and it's really just you know an explosion of sparks and things shooting all over the place and it's so cool looking you can see why angier and borden in 1990 or 1900 would be fascinated by using this in their stage show like this is such an amazing spectacle even if it doesn't do anything right and this is kind of uh, to go back again to the the journal we were mentioning earlier um this is something that sticks with both of them apparently because in his journal that um it's the journal that uh angier gets from borden because late, <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the chronology is it's, it's a little bit messed up, but through events, let's just say through events, mm-hmm. um, uh, Angier believes that the, uh, the transported man trick is performed um, a large in part because of the machine mm-hmm. that you mentioned, Mario, uh, a machine that Tesla made for Bort. Yeah, okay, I, I have to bring this up here. This is a, something I had brought up earlier, and I wanted to save it for later in the show. Why Roger Ebert thinks The Illusionist is better than The Prestige, and it's really the this kind of storyline right here. I personally think The Prestige is a better movie. It's such a kick-ass twist, and it's told so well, and I love everything about it. But Roger Ebert was right when he pointed out that the movie cheats, <laughs> in that the movie only works because they invent science fiction where you can make a person transport from one place to another. And that's Ebert's argument. He's like, the movie's good, but it depends on you buying into that technology would exist. And it didn't exist. So he, that's why he's like, the illusionist may not be as good as movie, but the illusionist plays fair. 
everything that happens in the illusionist could be a real magic trick but the prestige relies on this this science fiction jump of tesla killing you and making you appear somewhere else which does not exist in the real world so that that is the argument right there which is actually a fairly good argument i have to say right and and that's okay so one thing i don't like I personally don't like comparing the two movies because part of my elevator pitch that I forgot to mention earlier is that I consider The Prestige to kind of be a science fiction movie because it is it, it essentially is a sci-fi movie. Um, the the invention that Tesla does make it, it doesn't actually transport someone; it's more so a cloning machine. Mm-hmm. And as we as we all know, cloning doesn't actually exist in the form that you can just zap uh, you know a person in one place and then clone that person a few feet away yeah. you know uh, uh, with the same memories and essentially the same substance as a person yeah and that is very good point and i think that is something if you're going to take one thing okay if you're going to take two things from this podcast those are the two that i think are the most important one is that this movie is just killer it's so well done and set up and the twists and the storytelling is amazing and it's one of the best movies i've ever seen but as bruce said this is actually a science fiction movie and if you accept that i think it's easier to uh deal with this plot line here that tesla's invention is actually influencing the story which i'm glad you brought that up because i hadn't really thought of that yeah, it's, it, yeah. when you think of it as a sci-fi movie you, and you can suspend your disbelief, it's a much better movie in my opinion. Okay, so let's go into the second half of the movie. This is where it gets really interesting, where we learn of this trick called the Transported Man, which will become the greatest magician or the, the greatest magic trick in the land. And one, Borden will introduce it. Uh, Danton will eventually call it the new Transported Man. And then we're going to have what the, the best Transported Man or I don't know. There's all sorts of very of it here but uh, what okay so this is the game changer borden is now going to reveal the trick that he's been practicing his entire life and it's going to change london society what is the trick bruce so the trick is as you said the transported man so what essentially happens is he has this rubber ball and there are two doors on either side of the stage. They're, I want to say, about like 10, 20 feet apart from each other. You know, they're, they're far enough away to where there's no way that he could be the same person who walks in one side of the door and comes out the other side of the door. What happens is he stands in front of one of the doors, tosses a ball, you know, bouncing across the stage, walks in the door behind him, and then comes out the other door and catches the ball. That's the, the transported man simplified. Yeah, it's a very simple trick. Just one guy walks in a door, another guy pops out the other door, and the doors are next to each other. So it appears that he just jumped about, what, 20 feet or something like that. And and when uh, Cutter, when Michael Caine and Hugh Jackman see this for the first time, they're blown away because they have never seen a trick like that. And what's funny is the audience doesn't really react to it like there's not like a huge amount of applause and it's because christian bale doesn't really have any showmanship like he's come up with this amazing trick that we find out later uses a double he's using his twin brother but because it's so good and so slick and there's no presentation the audience doesn't really pop i i i want to stop you there for for one second you you said something that uh, isn't quite true i think you said uh both angier and cutter are amazed by it Cutter's not so impressed because he immediately suspects that he's using a double. 
Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think he is impressed, but because he understands that there's a double and he understands Borden has never had a double before. So I think he realizes right off the bat that this is a Ching Sung Lu trick, that this guy's been living a lie his entire life. So I think he is impressed, but for different reasons. Okay, fair enough. Okay, yeah, so... So they've seen this trick and they're like, I've like that. I've never seen a trick done like that before. And they go back and they're trying to figure out Hugh Jackman and Michael Caine how Borden did this. And Cutter from the start, Michael Caine, the smartest guy in the movie, is saying, "Well, it's a double. He's got a double." And Jackman's like, "No, there's no way. I know this guy. I've known this guy. I've worked with him. That's not a double. That's that's the same guy or that's the same person that comes out on the other side. I can even see." And, like, they can see, like, he's missing fingers. They can see the two fingers that got chopped off. So, like, this becomes an argument that will go, I mean, right until the end of the movie, how did Borden do that trick? And and, and even though Cutter explains it, Hugh Jackman just does not buy it. He thinks there's more to it. Uh, and I don't know if you noticed this, Mario, because you haven't mentioned it yet. But if you watch the scene carefully, you don't actually see Bor- you don't actually see the prestige in this trick. That's you right. don't actually see, yeah. yeah, you don't actually see Borden come out of the other door and catch it. What you see is the reactions of Angier and Cutter. When when you know you you hear it, you know you hear the ball bouncing and the door opening and I you know I assume him catching it, but you don't actually see Borden come out of the other side. So the audience so as an audience, you know, someone watching you don't actually know what exactly happened. So you're kind of, you know, left speculating based off of how other people are describing it to figure out what exactly happened. You don't have all the information they did to piece together whether it was the same person. You just have them saying it was the same person, which is very interesting that they didn't show the prestige of that particular trick. That's interesting. And I think that's the only trick in the movie you never actually see the prestige. Yeah. You just hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, so Borden has this, the transported man, and, and a Cutter and, and Angier are like, well, you know, that was a good trick, but with your showmanship, you could do that so much better. And so they start basically coming up a way to completely rip off the transported man and do it themselves with a double. And again, Hugh Jackman doesn't buy that it's a double, but he's like, but we can do it with a double. We'll just do it better, even though it's a stupid way to do it. And so this is where they bring in Root, right, the uh, drunk who looks just like Hugh Jackman. Yeah, there's there's a very drunk, down on his luck actor named Root um, that Cutter scouts out, and he says, "Give me a month, and I'll, you know, I'll make this guy into your double." Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna fast forward a little bit here because there's a lot of things that go back and forth, but I want to get to the end of the movie, and I don't want this to be too long of a podcast. But yeah. So basically, yeah. Hugh Jackman steals the trick, and they use this drunk guy Root. And because Hugh Jackman's such a better showman, he does a transported man. The crowd absolutely pops. They love it. It's like the biggest thing. And even like he's not even trying to pretend he's not ripping off Christian Bale at this point. He just calls his show his act the new transported man. (laughs) And so, yeah, so it's back and forth. Now, who's the better one? And this is where Scarlett Johansson is their assistant kind of ping pongs between the two as a spy. And I don't want to get into that because I don't want to get bogged down in it too much. But what's interesting is that. Again, revenge is the name of the game here is that Borden is mad that Hugh Jackman has stolen his trick again. So he's like, well, I'm going to sabotage him. And what does he do? He gets the drunk, the double drunk, and he 
screws it up. And basically what ends up happening is Hugh Jackman's trying to pull off this transported man trick. When Hugh Jackman falls down a trap door, there's no padding there to catch him. He ends up breaking his leg. And Christian Bale somehow sabotages it where he comes up and he becomes Hugh Jackman's transported man. The prestige becomes Christian Bale. And he's like, wow, look at me. I'm the great Danton. Come across the street to my act. It's way better. And so the sabotage continues. Yeah, this is this is one of the few comedic scenes in the movie. Borden just pops out of the door and makes a makes a fool of Angier and says, "Look, I've got a better trick. Come across state, come across the stage." And this is, I think, this is the uh, you know the more personality showman driven uh, Borden who likes uh, Olivia. Okay, here. this is Borden one. Borden two. Borden, damn it! <laughs> it's it, it, don't. don't don't worry, it's it is confusing as you think it is. Okay, so so Borden has basically one up Danton yet again, and now Borden starts and he's trying to up the showmanship on his transported man, the one that actually uses his twin brother, and he starts introducing this machine that looks like it's from Nikola's Tesla or Nikola Tesla, and it's the same trick Borden's always been doing with his twin brother, but now he's got these electricity and the sparks and everything, and this is going to absolutely set Hugh Jackman character over the top he's like this guy i hate this guy he's doing it better than me he's introducing electricity and tesla i hate this guy and this will really lead into the tragedy in the last part of this movie here yeah and so so this is right after this happens is when um fallon gets well quote unquote fallon gets uh taken right yeah they kidnap and that's yeah but uh hugh jackman was never really gotten his hands dirty but now he's like you know f this i'm gonna go kidnap this guy's ingenue and so they start he kidnaps the other guy's trick divisor yeah it gets real nasty here yeah this is this is when things start to go off the rail for for angier because uh, up until this point you know angier has just been trying to one up him but he doesn't really get nasty with it but after after he's been mocked i I think that kind of hurts his pride also because if you if you go back a little earlier every time they've been performing the trick with root whenever he you know throws his cap across the stage and drops below the stage root is the one who's getting all the applause he's below stage and he's not getting you know, he, he's not getting all the applause and the accolades for it. So I think this is when he really starts to want to figure out how can I be the same person that goes in the door and out the other door and get the praise. Yeah, and that is a very big subplot in this movie that it's it's important to do the trick and, you know, be recognized for it. But if you're under the stage, as Hugh Jackman ends up, you don't get the adulation from the crowd. And that's a really big thing. He's standing there as the saddest thing, bowing to nobody while his double is up there getting the applause. So it's a very big thing that a magician needs to feel like they're getting the applause at the end. They need to get it personally, and this will drive him to obsession at the end. Right, right. And and cutting to Borden now. Now, Borden, like like we mentioned earlier, he's been uh, living a double life. He has his wife, Sarah, but then there's also the assistant, Olivia, played by Scarlett Johansson. And one of the Bordens, Bordens falls in love with her. And because Sarah is able to, you know, discern uh, which Borden she's with at the time, even though she doesn't, you know, she doesn't suspect that it's a different one. She just thinks he has dual personalities and she can't cope with it. This ends, you know, it drives her to hang herself. Yeah. Yeah. Just tra- tragedy upon tragedy. here. Everyone's going to be dying. 
Yes. So this this is kind of the the big thing that happens to uh, uh, Borden here. Much how Anjir's wife died because of you know uh, in the beginning of the movie because of magic that set up his obsession. Borden's obsession eventually leads his own wife to take her life. Yeah. All right. So we've got a death. Uh, Borden's wife dies, and now. Hugh Jackman, uh, Angier, the great Danton, whatever you want to call him, goes to Nikola's Tesla. He has found out, I think, when they kidnapped Christian Bale's ingenuer, he said, what is your secret? Tell me your secret. And Borden gives him a piece of paper that just says Tesla. And so Angier goes to America. He's like, you, he finds Nikola Tesla, and he's like, basically, I know you made a machine. It makes this guy disappear. It makes him reappear somewhere else. I need you to make me the same machine. And Tesla, of course, has made nothing like this in the past. Tesla has no idea what he's talking about. But as a businessman, he's going to take his money. He's like, sure, I'll make you. I like, I like that. Yeah, sure, why not? I'll just make you a, a transporting machine. Sure. And so it's, it's this big, long section of the movie where Tesla's making this and Angier's going slowly and slowly crazy. And finally, we see the tests and we finally see that that. Tesla can indeed make this machine. That's the sci-fi part of the movie where it actually will, you know, basically zap you and make you reappear someone else. And there's a whole cool scene with all these. There's like a thousand hats you see from all the times they've been testing it. Right, because at first it doesn't appear that the machine works because it's it zaps it and it's supposed to make someone disappear and reappear someone else. But what this machine actually does is it clones it and it zaps it somewhere else. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because you don't really catch the significance of the horrificness of this machine until maybe the second viewing of this movie that it literally creates a clone. So every time Hugh Jackman would use it, it doesn't really – it's not so much that it makes – him appear someone else it creates a clone of him so in theory we could have a thousand great dantons running around london and so there's like again it's the jurassic park argument are you really sure you want to start playing god with this machine where you're creating clones of yourself and it gets really horrific towards the end and i think even tesla tells him he's like i've invented this machine that will clone you and here's my advice for you he's like you know obsession is a young man's game don't do this he's like Here's my advice. Take this machine, drop it into the bottom of the deepest ocean. He's like, such a thing will only bring you misery. And the great Danton's like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he basically, basically says, yeah, I, I didn't take your advice at all, Tesla. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he starts using it. And it's really it, – it's really – tragic what he ends up doing with it and that's why I, I i you know posed that question to you earlier why didn't he just make one clone of himself and keep using that same clone no what what anjir actually does is he has a trap door beneath the uh the invention so there's you know he walks up on the stage and he does the trick and he zaps himself and when he zaps himself is when the trap door activates now the the clone appears on the other side of the theater on the balcony and you know the the audience turns around after they see the man disappear and they see and then all of a sudden Angier's on the other side of the theater and he's like hi i'm over here and the audience claps meanwhile below the stage the trap door opens to that i i believe it's it's a replica or very similar to the um the box of water that his wife had died in yeah so he kills himself. That's the main yeah, thing. And like, like, that's the thing. You think there's one twist in the movie that uh, that uh, what's a Christian Bale's playing twin brothers. There's actually two twists in that Hugh Jackman is literally killing himself every night for this trick. So that's the thing. You must sacrifice 
Again, I'm just thinking stuff I never even caught before in foreshadowing of this movie. You must sacrifice to be great. He literally is doing the definition of sacrifice where he kills himself every single night and he creates a new version of himself, but every trick must involve the great Danton dying horrifically in a thing of water. And I think this might also have to do with uh, the tra- the particular tragedy of his wife dying by drowning. I, I think there's some kind of weird i think it has a weird psychological impact on him to where he's obsessed with drowning somehow and cutter and cutter mentions this earlier where there was a man you know he had um he had met before who said he had drowned and he i think angier had asked him you know what was it like so because he was obsessed with drowning and i think that might be why he chose to drown himself every no night. i can actually correct you this is the one thing i actually know because i researched this that oh, yeah okay. cutter says earlier in the movie that he knew a man who drowned and ended up coming coming back to life and hugh jackman's like what's it like to drown and he says it's like bliss you're like lost in bliss it's pleasure and so i'm assuming hugh jackman thinks if i'm gonna die every night i'm gonna die in a way that's nice at least it's pleasurable to drown And like the very last thing in the movie, Michael Caine says, oh, I lied. No, it's agony. It's the worst possible way to. So Hugh Jackman was kind of tricked into thinking this was the pleasant way to kill himself. Ah, yeah, that that, that makes sense. Thank you for correcting me. Okay, so, yeah, so there's a scene. We don't see it until the very end of the movie, but the first time the great Danton uses this machine and it zaps him and all this Tesla electricity goes through his head and, and then a clone of him pops up like literally 10 feet away. And you have to think they have the same memories, thoughts, they know who each other is, and this clone pops up, and he's like, oh my god, and there's two of me, and this is where Hugh Jackman realizes how horrific this machine is and how it can go wrong, and his first instinct is to shoot himself. (laughs) So he pulls the gun and he kills the clone, and he realizes, every night I must kill this clone or it's going to, you know, the jig's going to be up, people are going to know this, how this trick's done, so the the trick only works if murder is involved, and that's why, to your point, why didn't he just make one and keep this guy in a cage or something? Yeah, I, I guess it's also because he, like he said earlier, he couldn't, he couldn't fathom living a double life. You know, living the trick outside uh, of just the theater. That, that probably, yeah, I, I think I just answered my own question. That's probably why he didn't do it. There we go. Because he could, he just wasn't, wasn't strong enough as a performer to do it. This the whole podcast has been like therapy. We're like doing talking therapy. <laughs> We're coming to answers in our heads. So it's been it worked out real well. I mean, it's one of those movies that. You, you're always going to be discovering something new about and so I guess just talking about it has led us to new conclusions about the movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Danton now has the greatest trick in the land. He calls it the real transported man because it literally is. It uses science fiction and he's cloning himself and his clone is popping up, you know, 50 feet away and he goes on and does it and it's like the most amazing trick ever and and he even sells it more by hiring these blind stagehands who every night wheel out these mystery boxes, which, as we find out later, that's the dead corpse of clone Danton. Every night he must dispose of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just take, he just takes the boxes with the drowned corpse in them, doesn't even, like, drain the water or anything. They're just floating dead corpses and transports them somewhere else and just stores them. That's the real transported man, when you wheel the corpse across <laughs> town. Without anyone realizing that you're just wheeling corpses every night across town. Yeah. So if you look in the statistics of murder, famous murderers in London around the 1890s, it's the great Danton is number one, and then Jack the Ripper is number two. So that's how it goes. So Danton is the most prolific killer ever. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> okay, so yeah, he's got this great show now where he's killing himself and transporting every night, and it's the greatest show anybody's ever seen. And Borden, <laughs> Borden uh, Christian Bale, is flummoxed. He's like, how the hell did this hack come up with a trick that's even better than me? And he has no idea that, you know, that Algier went to America and got Nikola Tesla to build him a science fiction cloning machine. And so Borden is, you know, obsessed, as he always is, and he runs. He's trying to figure out a way to, you know, storm underneath the uh, stage and see what's going on, because he knows there's a trap door, and he can't fathom what's going on. And this is where the murder actually happens, right? Yes, and uh, Angier is kind of on to the fact that Borden wants to figure out what the trick is, so he knows that Borden's going to go beneath the stage, and he's going to watch the, the clone drown. So this is the one part in the movie when he actually does – this is when he Angier essentially disappears because he doesn't he doesn't come out like you know on the other side of the theater. Mm -hmm. um, he just decides to disappear from there and let um, and let Borden get staged for the murder. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very intricate thing, and you may have to watch the movie twice to catch how it's all being set up here. But basically, he knows Borden's going to run into the stage. Angier has it all set up. It's the perfect trap. And basically, when the corpse of Angier goes down and drowns, Borden's right there looking at him. And this is how we frame him for murder. Angier never reappears. It's the biggest scandal of all time. Borden goes to jail for... You know, everyone knows these magicians have a rivalry, and you just killed your buddy. Are you kidding me? You just killed another magician in the name of, you know, entertainment? And so Christian Bale Borden is dragged off to jail. He's gets sentenced to hang, and really, that should be the end of the movie. And then the twists start. This is where the prestige becomes the prestige. Yeah, so... Uh, where do you want to start with the, the twist in prison? <laughs> I have no idea. I hope you. I I was hoping you had a better idea. Okay. Okay. So we'll start. I, I think we'll start with the uh, which twist do we find out? Okay. So we find out Angier's twist first. So essentially, what happens is Borden is about to be. Uh, he's about to be hung. Because he's been he's been sentenced and convicted, and this is the, this is actually the Borden who um, loved Olivia. Because at the whenever he's getting dragged away to get killed, he tells um, Fallon, you know, I'm you know I'm sorry for everything I did to Sarah. So you know he's obviously feeling guilty about having Sarah killed herself. So this is this is the one that loved Olivia, who's about to get hung. Yes. So he so when he's about to get hung. He meets with one of Lord Caldlow's associates, and explain explain Lord explain Lord Caldlow again. This is important. Who he is? Okay, okay, okay. So so Lord, well, this is where I'm getting. This is where I'm getting getting to it. So Lord Caldlow is someone who's offered to take care of um, Borden's daughter in exchange for all of his secrets. Because so Lord Caldlow is essentially, I, I, I guess, in a way, blackmailing him. Or you know, trying to trying to force his hand, saying you know, I'll take care of your daughter, but only if you give up all your secrets. So Lord Caldlow himself finally makes an appearance as Borden is about to get dragged away to get hung. Lord Caldlow is actually Angier himself. Twist number one. That has been the whole premise of the movie that Angier has set up Borden to be framed for murder, and not only am I going to get you hung. I'm going to get revenge in the end here. Not only am I going to, you're going to die for murdering me, but I'm going to take your daughter and raise her as my own. 
So at the end of the day, Angier wins. He got his rival framed for murder, and he ends up raising his daughter. So, you know, point Angier on that one. That was a good win. Yeah, so so you see the scene where Borden gets hung, but as he's about to get, you know, as as he's about to get dropped to say any last words, and what does he say? I can never pick out his final words. I'm not sure what he says. He says abracadabra. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, he says he says abracadabra. And so he so so the viewers thinking, well, there's got to be some trick, you know, does he actually die here? Like it, there's no way he he dies because it, he has to have some kind of trick up his sleeve, right? And he does. Yeah, this is where we find out the twin brother. And again, Bruce and I have been talking about this as if it's common knowledge this entire podcast. But when you watch this movie, especially the first time, you have no idea that Borden and Fallon are the same person or twin brothers. Sorry. So, yeah. Yeah. So Borden, you know, before he dies, he tells his twin brother Fallon, he's like, basically, here's what happened. The, he's raising my daughter. Go kill him. And so now Fallon will go and we're going to have the second twist where we learn that they're twin brothers, that they have the finger chopped off and everything. They lived a double life. And now Fallon is going to go murder Angier. Yeah. So what, what, through events after Angier died, you know, supposedly died, all of his assets are going to get sold, <laughs> funnily enough, back to him. Um, and so he goes to see uh, after he's acquired all of his stuff. He goes to see the um, the the tr contraption that Tesla had built. And while he's under, you know, underneath one of the stages uh, where the contraption is, he sees a mysterious man walking up to him. And who else could it be? but bored <laughs> yes the man the man who had just been hung yeah so we see fallon without makeup it's really literally a twin brother of borden and this is where uh hugh jackman realizes there were two christian bales all along he's like oh crap and then he gets shot and basically this is where we find out that borden ends up winning but it's borden too it's again the the whole bird cage trick there were two ways of doing the bird cage trick you either kill the bird or use a double and in the end of the day the double wins and so yeah, he, Hugh Jackman dies, and again, Borden gets revenge, and so the tale of revenge is complete. That we only have one Borden left. Yeah, so so one one Borden dies, Angier dies, two wives die, a bunch of birds die, a bunch actually a bunch of Angiers die <laughs> when you think about it. So we have we have hundreds of bo of bodies at the end of the movie, and we have one magician standing. Yeah, this movie has a bigger body count than like a Friday the Thirteenth movie. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. You talk about this. This this is comparable with any action movie you've seen for dead body count. Because at, at, in the final scene where where Borden shoots Anjir, Anjir tells him, "Hey, look where we are." And then after he kills him, he walk. You know, he's walking away, and where the 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 contraption is stored is literally the storage area where he stored all of the dead bodies. So so you <laughs> yes. see all of these these Anjirs just. Uh, dead on Jir's just floating there. <laughs> it's so morbid. When you drove up, did you see a sign on my lawn that said "Dead Angier Storage"? <laughs> Sorry, there's just uh yeah. The last scene of the movie is just uh, Borden wins. He gets his daughter back and the twin brother again. It's this whole movie about sacrifice and revenge and death and just everything going wrong for everybody. But at the end of the day, we get a happy dad with his happy daughter and everything's good. And Cutter, of course. 
was just disgusted by all this revenge and he wanted nothing to do with it by the end. But as, as Bruce said, we pull back at the end of the movie and we see a giant warehouse of just dead Hugh Jackman's floating in these little tanks. It's the creepiest thing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, I can't, I, I just can't even begin to like fathom how, 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 the madness that just leads you to to kill your to kill yourself and then transport your dead bodies across town every night. And I think like in the in the movie they're talking about how he's contracted to do the the performance like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. So this is, I mean, the, there has to be dozens and dozens of bodies. It's just it's insane how many times he kills himself yeah what's funny is um like when the first time i saw this movie everybody says oh it's got an amazing twist and i saw i got to the end here and i'm like oh well the twist is that hugh jackman killed himself every night i didn't realize there were other twists like i didn't even get the right twist that's how many twists there are here and it's just it's just a crazy ending and it's just a yeah, just and then we we cut right to black and it says directed by Christopher Nolan and you're like, what the hell movie did I just watch? And you have to go back and see it again. And the second time, I'm telling you, the second time is where this movie becomes special because they spell out everything they're gonna do. They lay out the prestige before you actually see it, and it's just it's so well done. Right, uh, and and that's one of the things that, that I think really makes this movie good. Um, is not just like. The, the magic that happens and you know the story itself but it's the fact that it's foreshadowed so much mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot a lot of movies just movies in general you you can watch it once and you appreciate it for what it is and you can go back and watch it and appreciate it for the essentially the same reasons but the prestige is special in my opinion because you can go back and have a different kind of appreciation. You can appreciate it in a different way that you did before the first time you saw it. Yeah, it's just one of those that just did the repeat viewings. And although it does, this movie does answer the all-important question. You know what that question is? What's that? Could Batman beat Wolverine in a fight? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer, we learned that Batman does beat Wolverine, but only if Batman has a twin. You have to have two Batmans to beat Wolverine. And you need a hundred Wolverines, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so 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 a hundred Wolverines versus two Batmans, and, and the two one of the two Batmans wins. The end of the day, it's a battle royal, and Batman number two is left standing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. Yeah, it's now the Prestige is one of those movies that I would say like the story of the movie is interesting enough, like just magicians just being pissed and trying to one up each other. But like you said, the storytelling and the way it's presented is what really makes this movie special. And it's why you may have heard us kind of struggling to explain the plot without making it too complicated. And that's because the movie is told out of order. It's very artsy. I wouldn't say it's an arty, arty movie, but it's just very complicated. The Christopher Nolan has taken like the most difficult way to tell the story, but also the most rewarding if you pay attention and you watch it multiple times. And I think if I recall, the first line of the movie and the last line of the movie are the exact same. And it's uh, Michael Caine saying, uh, what is he saying? He says, are you watching closely? Yeah, yeah. He says it's something along the lines of, you know, there, there's a trick going on. And are you watching closely enough to get it? You like you you want to see something, but you don't see it. I, there's not too much more I can say about it. I think we've kind of uh, you know 
spilled praise on it enough, but it's just one of those things like like when we're doing the prestige versus the illusionist, I said I know you don't like comparing the two, but I'm very uh excited to know that we started off with the prestige, which I think is the better movie, but now I'm gonna have a really hard sell in part two trying to convince everyone that the illusionist is better. So you've we we've made the, the uh challenge for me infinitely more difficult. <laughs> well well I I'm certainly glad we have <laughs> So is there anything else you want to say about this or anything, last thoughts about The Prestige, thoughts that came to your mind as we were doing this podcast before we kind of sign off here? Yeah, so I kind of want to bring it back to uh, it being a Christopher Nolan movie. I think this is uh, what I was talking about earlier, this being sort of uh, an amalgamation of all of all of the things uh, Christopher Nolan does. I mean, he has romance in here, um, cutting from you know telling a story out of order like he does in memento it's very it's very fast paced there's like there isn't any time for you to take a breath because you have to be paying attention to what's going on or else you're going to be totally lost like this is not this i will say if you're going to watch this movie and you haven't watched it before and for whatever reason you didn't turn off the podcast and you listened to the to the whole thing and now you're spoiled on the movie but you're going to go watch the movie anyway this is not a movie where you can just walk away and use the bathroom yeah while the movie's play or get popcorn you, you like you have to sit there and watch the movie and watch it in one setting too it's not one you want to start one night and finish the next night yo no definitely yeah it's just that's why i said just play the movie set aside a couple hours in the dark you can watch it you know on your own time but watch it in one sitting. yeah Although, again, that does bring up the other thing you said. Someone may have listened to this whole podcast and hadn't seen the movie, and now they're like, well, it's spoiled. I don't need to see it. That is not the correct mindset with the prestige. Even if you're spoiled, even if you know what's coming, and again, I've seen this movie probably ten times now, you still get things out of it on new viewings. Like, you'll appreciate the artistry, and it's one of those things with Survivor Seasons. I, I, I don't know. The, I try not to talk about Survivor, the TV show, too much on here, but Survivor, I've always argued, is better when you know the ending because you get to see why the editors are setting it up. You get to see the artistry of what they do, how they get you to that point, and it's really neat. So it's almost better in a way if you know the ending of The Prestige because you can just admire how good Christopher Nolan is at bringing you there. Right, and, and and I want to bring up a, a particular Survivor season that I I know you're trying to be an apologist of, and and I hope you you're glad to learn I am a fan of it as well. Worlds Apart. It, it's a movie that the 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 journey is better than the destination. Yeah, it's one of those things where you enjoy it for, you know, not where you end up, but you enjoy the artistry and the storytelling of it and how it's told to you and the different, you know, the different pieces of the movie. And there's even in this podcast, there's so much we left out. We left out subplots, different characters, different events that happens. And it's just it's a movie you enjoy watching because it's a movie. Again, I just want to say thank you for coming on. And I'm really glad that I had a Christopher Nolan fan. And I'm very excited. I had someone who could really lay out the plot of this movie because this is one of the most difficult episodes i think i've done on staff fix just because it's not like we're talking about a comedy or a horror movie this is you know timelines within timelines it's like very complicated so i really just hope we did justice and i think i think we did it i think you did a great job i really hope i was your equal that i could kind of match you on this one because this seemed like you know this movie a little better than i do so i just want to thank you for coming on and helping me well, thank you very much for having me, Mario. I had a great time, and I, I think you've earned your, uh, your patron money. 
Yes, I'm so excited. Bruce is going to continue, and I am just going to lay this out again. Again, I have a patron page, patreon.com slash Mario Lanza, where that's the only way that I can support this podcast and keep these, uh, do the, pay the web hosting costs and keep all these episodes, both for my Survivor website, my Survivor podcast, and for staff picks. So if you want to be a patron, please do. And anybody on the $5 and above patron tier, automatically means you get to be on an episode with me and that's how i met bruce i would not have known you otherwise so i'm i'm very excited we got thrown together here and we got to lay out the uh great murder rampage of the great danton <laughs> yes I'm, I'm glad that fortune has thrown us together i hope everyone's enjoyed listening to this um and if you i would also encourage people and you yourself mario to check out more christopher nolan movies i think he, he's not a director that everyone likes but i particularly like his movies so i encourage everyone to check out his movies and definitely check out the prestige okay and if i don't check out his movies i will send my twin brother and he will do it all right sounds good <laughs> just don't just make sure you don't die well, that's really the goal of every podcast. <laughs> All right. Again, this is Staff Picks. My name is Mario Lanza. And I, if you want to reach me, you can reach me staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I will be out there looking for other movies that need a little more love. And I will try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Stay tuned for the next podcast, which is The Illusionist, where I will basically try to undo all the damage that Bruce has done here, and I will present you why The Illusionist is way better than The Prestige, and Prestige fans are fools. <laughs> anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Closer.